0: Please open your Bible, the book of Romans, chapter 15. Romans, chapter 15. I want to read verse 5. I want to talk about something that you've never heard a message of I've kind of rehearsed some of this with Marcia so she's got kind of an idea where I'm going oh, the Lord knows where I end up sometimes right. Romans 14 verse 5 one man esteemeth one day above another Another esteemeth every day alike. Which one should we be lying? Just read the rest of the verse. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. I have to admit, I was a little mixed a couple of months ago and not one of you sent me a grandfather's day card. But there are people who make a big day about certain days. Days like names, like images, like gestures can suggest different things. For example, probably most of you have watched television in your lifetime. And if I say the name Barney, what do you think of? Nipping in the bud. <laughs> you think of the deputy on Andy Griffith. Sure enough. But some people don't think quite that way. They think of Fred Flintstone, but hey Fred. And if you're a little bit younger, you might think of a purple dinosaur. But the same name brings up different ideas. You know the word joint. If you're a carpenter or a plumber, it means one thing. If you're a doctor, it means something else. And if you buy illegal stuff, it means something else. In the 1940s, Winston Churchill used to do this. You know what that stood for? Victory. In the 60s, a lot of people did this. Peace. They said it stood for peace. It's interesting. The same word, different times, different places, different contexts, can mean different things. If you look on the calendar today, you know what they call it? Mayday. Mayday. What do you think of when you hear the word mayday? Well, there are three different ways you can think about mayday, and I want to talk this morning about mayday and the Christian. The first thing that comes to my mind is that mayday is used as a distress call. You know, used to be it was S.O.S. But uh, sometimes, if you're trying to remember Morse code, is it three shorts, three longs, or three shorts, or is it three longs, three shorts, three longs, or is it? I, I just and so how, how do you how do you get it? Out? But nowadays, when you have a radio, if a ship is going to sink or a plane is going down, they get on that intercom and they the radio and they say, "Mayday, Mayday, it's a distress call." It's been official since 1927. That's the international radio-telephonic signal for help ships and aircraft in distress. They say Mayday. Well, what's that got to do with Christianity? I want you to know something. When we think about the spiritual plight of the vast majority of people in this world, it is a distress call. We should have an appreciation for the distress, the peril of the human race. For you see, we were all born in sin. We were all born in condemnation. A lot of folks have the idea, well, if I really mess up big time, then I'm in trouble with God, then I might be under His condemnation. I've got news for people to take that thought. Jesus Himself said, that we're condemned already. Yeah. Jesus didn't have to come in this world to condemn this world to go, um, um, you, you folks got a problem. No. There is a problem. But it didn't come because Jesus came into world. We have this. It's something we didn't know about. You go back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and because of sin, God spoke to a man named Noah. He says, I'm going to destroy the earth. And there is a sense in which he did destroy the earth. 2 Peter says, The old world being overcome with water perished. And with the exception of eight human beings, the rest of the human race were destroyed, buried under water, silt, whatever the Lord had. But Noah, knew that it was a serious situation. You know, folks, with all of our nice clothes we wear and all our happy thoughts we might happen to have, without Jesus Christ, there is a problem, a major problem. We talked to... we to We, We forget sometimes how critical it is that without Jesus Christ, our kid folks, our neighbors... Our friends, the folks we work with, they're going to die and go to hell. I, I, I can't pretty that up, but I wouldn't want to pretty it up. It's the truth. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, for the free pardon of your sin. Now some people wait to the end of the message and then they tack something up. And I'm not telling you right here, right now. You're not Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ. Right. Not just to be your buddy, but to save you from your sin. And everyone here who says they're saved by the grace of God, they have an appreciation for that. It means something. There's a distress we need to know about. The problem with a guy named Lot in the book of Genesis, he went because the two angels said, the Lord's going to roast this place. He's going to toast this place. And when Lot, who was a righteous man, but He was too comfy and sad. And when he finally decided, I'm going to say something to folks, he went to his own sons-in-law. And they said, yeah, God's going to destroy us, huh? Yeah, right, sure. It says they, they talked about him like some guy who was just pulling their leg. Big joke. We're to let our light so shine. We're to be the salt of the earth such that when we tell people about their great spiritual need, and if you're a sinner today, and you have a need, hey, you might have the nicest house, you might have the best car, you might have a great job, you might have money in the bank, you might have a great report from the doctor on your health, but without Jesus Christ, you're going to die and go to hell. There's no two ways about that. Sometimes we we might want to shy away from that, but Ever since Genesis, we're reminded of the condemnation of our sin, the penalty of the death. In the book of Daniel, it tells us how that a king named Belshazzar, it was party hardy time for him, until they saw the fingers of a man's hand writing on the wall. We get that expression sometimes. Can you read the handwriting on the wall? Do you realize how serious it is? Oh, it's great to get news about so many things in this world. And it's wonderful to say congratulations when people have done some things. But the greatest thing... I, I was in one place where somebody made a profession of faith everybody clapped like they were on a game show or something. But it is a cause of rejoicing. And have that turnaround. In John chapter 7 and verse 37, the folks having a big feast day, having them a good time. Nobody's going to spoil our fun. And you know what Jesus did? Some would say he was the killjoy because in verse 37 it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he didn't say, for he's a jolly good fellow. He didn't say, hey, everybody, let's have us a good time. Everybody have fun tonight. No. <coughs> he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. That's verse 37. And then verse 38. "He to believe on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Anybody who was there and knew the grace of God, I hope in their hearts they said, Amen. But well, I think there are an awful lot of people, What? What's this problem? We're going to have a good time. And he's talking about this great work. What? What's that all about? But Jesus, but, and we talk about heaven, but Jesus, I think if you compare the number of times, number of verses. I think you talk more about hell than he did about heaven. In Luke thirteen, he got up, brought a bunch of folks. He said, "Now if you read the." They have newspapers back then, but if it were today, we'd say, did, "Did you see it on the internet? Did you? Did you? Did you get beepity beeped on your little thing? Did you get the word?" There were people who was standing in a place, minding their own business, and a tower <coughs> clobbered them. And Jesus said, do you suppose, this is in the 13th of Luke, verse first five verses, do you suppose that those people that got clobbered when that tower fell on them, do you think it's because they were such wicked sinners, and not me, you know, don't worry about stuff like that, happen to me, because I'm a pretty good guy. No. Jesus says, "Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish." That's true today. If you don't repent, you will perish. So that's a downer. That's bad news. Well, the good news is, as Jesus Christ. Amen. In the next couple of verses, he says, "Or oh, there was a time when this authority went in." And there were a bunch of folks that said, well, we're going to worship the Lord. And their blood was mixed with that of the sacrifice. I'll bet you suppose that uh, those people who died that way, they were wicked sinners worse than anybody else. And that's why God let that happen. But I say unto you, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. A young person a few years ago was talking to another fellow in And he said, so I'm saved. I accepted Jesus. I I checked the box. I I, I came to trust Him. And he says, so you repented of your sins, right? What sin? What are you talking about? Repentance. That's one thing that's been deleted from a lot of those who have been deluded. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus, is a lot of people are concerned about what people can do to your body. He said, folks, let's get real. Don't be afraid of the person who can just destroy your body. You need to fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Amen. Jesus didn't smooth the waters. He told the truth, though. Yes. The truth that we need to know the truth we need to hear. That's one of the motivations for God called preacher to stand and week after week, year after year to proclaim the Lord. Because you can't save yourself. This church can't save you. This tank can't save you. If you come to the table and take Lord's Supper, that won't save you. No. Only the Lord. And only the Lord does. There's a song. I don't know if it's in our hymnal. It says, "Rescue the perishing, care for the dying." That's that's serious business, folks. We need to know that. In the little book of Jude, you right before the book of Revelation. Some people in their hurry to see how the story ends, they rush to the book of Revelation, that stopped just short of that. Jude, the 23rd verse. Others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. I don't think that's talking about salvation, but there are people who may indeed be saved, but they're not talking like it, they're not walking like it, they're not thinking like it. And they need to be told, get serious. Get right. We need to keep that in mind. None of us get any younger. We have a cause for which to fight. We have a calling that we need to obey. And so, it says, there are others. Verse 22 says, some have compassion making a difference. You can make a difference for the cause of Christ. So he said, I can drop ten bucks of the Salvation Army bucket. I can help somebody this way. I can do something else to help somebody. The greatest thing you can you for anybody is tell about Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you know that? With your life, with your mouth, with your consistent, faithful obedience to Jesus Christ, be that chain. Even the world has said, be the chains that you want to see in others. Very important. Paul puts it pretty clearly. And I think I mentioned it when we were having question and answer time in Sunday school in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 11. Paul was not waddy da about preaching, about living the Christian life, and we shouldn't be either. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. <laughs> Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord... We persuade men. Why do we want to be right? Why do we want to think God's thoughts after Him? Why do we want to be lined up with what He says? Why do we want to delight in His Word? Because it's the truth. Because it's our life. Because it's what we need. And it's the message that this world needs. When I was quite a bit younger, real popular song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. What the world needs is Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus did not say, look, I'll take care of saving them and you just, you just go into your little house of worship and within those walls you can be as pious, you can be as holy, and you can be as sanctified. And then when you leave, be like everybody else. That is the supposition a lot of people have. See how Sunday school preps me? We need to know that there is a difference. We have a home in heaven. Our sins are paid for. The birds don't have any redemption for their sins, but yet they chirp and carry on. They're taken care of. The Lord takes care of you. He's the one who we live and move and have our being. So he said, why should I praise God? Well, are you breathing? That's that's reason enough. Let all of them that have breath praise the Lord. When you stop breathing, you can stop praising God in this (laughs) world. Deal? Well, that's the way it is. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade them, Mayday! Mayday! It's a distress call. And so we say, well, God's, God's just this cosmic softy. He's, he's this groovy dude, you know. Now, Hebrews 12, 29 says it correctly. Our God is a consuming fire. Don't hear a whole lot of sermons along those lines these days, do we? That's one way to think about May Now, maybe you don't know what I'm about to talking. Well, and that, that's okay. But I want you to know that there's a whole part of this world who has been in the grip of a humanist idea. A guy named Karl Marx had nothing to do with Brunch. different Marx entirely. He wrote a work in which he said, We can make the world a better place. He had no hope, no confidence. In any religion. In fact, he referred to religion as the opiate of the masses. That's just something they dope you up with so they can charge you and assess you and keep you under their thumb. (coughs) May the 1st is also, since 1886, been celebrated as a special day. A holiday for labor that the union set aside. Here in the United States it was on the first of May 1886. The men chose to strike for an eight-hour working day. There was a time when men worked a lot more than eight hours in a day. But it wasn't that long ago. They worked 66 hours a week. They work all day. I think I worked out to 12 hours Monday through Friday. And then they got it easy on Saturday. They only put in six or eight hours, however that worked out. And it's interesting that internationally the 1st of May was adopted as the celebration day by the first Congress of the 2nd Socialist International of 1889. May Day is a big day. If you're communists, maybe it's revolutionary. But I want you to know, as a Christian, what is revolutionary? Christ, the greatest revolutionary that the world has ever had any contact with. <coughs> Paul reminds us in First Corinthians, probably 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he didn't just wear a new set clothes. He didn't just have a different kind of haircut. No. For any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We're not talking about a mere transmutation. You know, some larva turn into the final form. But we're not talking about just going through some metamorphosis. We're talking about a major transformation. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. That means you have appetites you didn't have before. And some of the stuff you used to love and crave, uh, that disgusts you. Because you've been made a new creature in Christ. You have been changed. Several centuries ago, there was a man named Augustine. And he lived with a woman without benefit of marriage for years and years and years. didn't think anything of it. After all, he was a philosopher he was cool, he thought, in his own mind. And the Lord got a hold of Augustine. The Lord saved him. And so he moved out. He didn't go with that woman anymore. One day he was out in the marketplace. And his old gal saw him. And she ran over to him. She wondered, what's going on? What's this major change? And she ran up to him and she says, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And his response reportedly was, it is not I. This change in me. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. If you've never come to a major change, if God has not worked the greatest revolution, it can be worked in a human heart, in a human mind you know the world draws a blank when we talk about these sort of things they say well I suppose if you're sincere if you do the best you can if you uh, just just don't be bad at Hitler and you will be ok no you need a major a radical transformation that's what it is do not just going to schmooze to go from heathen to Christian no there's a definite act of God. God the Holy Spirit gives you new life, a new mind, a new heart, new eyes to see, new ears to hear. You're on a different frequency, different wavelength. Everything has changed. Your relationships. The world calls that foolishness. Paul mentions that in the first of Romans and the first of 1 Corinthians. And when the world hears that Jesus Christ is the Great One, I was reading something from a historian. He had his Ph.D. from Columbia. Traveled the world and wrote an 11-volume history of the world. His name was Will Durant. And when he was being interviewed late in life, they asked him, who is the individual that has been most significant in American history, not American, in world history? And he says, without a doubt, Jesus Christ. Now, Will Durant studied to be a Jesuit priest. And he went from that to studying in a communist cell. And one of the things the Lord used to kind of make him assess what he was doing, one of his buddies made a bomb, the thing blew up killed the buddy that Will was spared. Now, if he was a saved man, he hid it pretty well. But he had the intellectual awareness that nobody has influenced the history of this world more than Jesus Christ. A true revolutionary. And when Paul, in the 17th of Acts, was called to speak, at a place in Athens called the Areopagus. And he was there talking about God in general. And they said, okay, okay. He talked about God made the world. Oh, okay, okay. And and he's done some fantastic things. Okay, and they're with him. And And he sent his son, Jesus. And they're still with him. And Jesus taught, great lesson, performed great works and the world despised him and they called for his crucifixion and he died and he was buried and then he rose from the dead uh-huh. some of the crowd said that's the stupidest thing I ever heard we well, don't want to hear that kind of fool it's from the dead but well, we're with you up to that point Thankfully, the book of Acts also tells us that there are those who said, we will hear you again of this man. You know what? Not everybody's going to listen when you witness to them. Not everybody's going to give a hoot. But there are some with whom you can make a difference. That's right. If they don't have ears to hear, they're not going to hear but if you don't say anything, even if they have ears to they're not going to hear it from you. They're not going to hear it from me. If we don't witness... So, say, well, if they're not elect. No, well, that's true. But you know, if they're elect, God will get His Word to them somehow. i might much rather come from somebody who knows something about grace. What an opportunity. Mr. Spurgeon was asked, well, if you believe like you do, why do you witness? So I'll tell you what. I get a joy... When somebody says, look, I got this prize. That's nice. I got this award. Wonderful. I was recognized. for That's wonderful. You want to see me light up? You come to me and tell me, the Lord turned on the light bulb. The Lord gave me eyes to see. I rejoice in Christ Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. Oh, I'm thankful for the many blessings I've had in life. And outside of salvation, I'm thankful for my dear wife and the opportunity to preach the Gospel. But far and above those and anything and all combined is Jesus Christ died for my sin. And I hope you can say that as well. You know, the confidence that Paul had when he was talking to represent himself in Acts 24... He said, let me tell you what, folks. I was reared in the strictest sense as a Pharisee. But you know what? I rejoice in Christ. And that confidence in Him, a lot of you consider heresy, but it is the truth. I look to Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He's either the truth or you've got a problem. We all have a problem unless we see Jesus Christ as. The way, the truth, and life. He wasn't fooling around. He wasn't exaggerating when he said that. He's not one of many truths. He's not one of many ways. He's not one of many lives. He is the one. You know, when he was in exile, Napoleon got to thinking, because twice he tried to take over the world, and the Brits beat him down twice. And while he was on that island, he got to thinking about Jesus. And he said, He never had an army. He never fired any shots at people. No, he didn't try to conquer any territory. But yet, his influence is greater in the world than anything I or anybody else has ever accomplished. Amen. An anonymous author wrote a little. Little ditty about one solitary life. Talking about the effect Jesus had on the world and the successive generations throughout the world. Oh, the world says, you know, we're gonna close down all these churches, and we're gonna we're gonna burn all these Bibles, and the only place you'll find a Bible is in a Museum someplace. There was a man in France. Who said a hundred years from now there won't be any Bibles. Well, a hundred years after he died, his house that he was living in and made that proclamation came up for sale, and the folks that bought it represented the French Bible Society. They put in printing presses and printed Bibles 24 hours a day. So I'll give you two. There's one more. A few years ago, the 1st of May was selected as our National Day of Prayer. You heard of that? Public schools have a see you at the poll opportunity so that on or about the 1st of May, they go out to the flagpole and they make a circle and they have prayer. One day a year, they have prayer. That's pretty good, isn't it? What about the other 364 days? Yeah. See, there's a problem with that. When we designate one day, that means all the rest. is Well, that's that's not really the day we do that. You know what day we as God's people are supposed to pray? If it ends in a Y, that's a day you ought to pray. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You think that was a Sunday? I don't know. It might have been a Thursday. Did God make Thursdays? Absolutely. Every day of the week. That's just what we do sometimes. We have in our culture gotten to the point where it's Sunday. That's the day we honor the Lord. Go back to the book of Acts. Chapter 1. It says daily in the temple and house to house, they gathered, they sang, they prayed, they studied. Every day. Every day. You know, if we had Monday church and Tuesday church and Wednesday church, we don't have Wednesday don't we? some people, I think. The Thursday church, the Friday church, the Saturday church. One guy, I know, he, he took Marsh and me out for lunch, and he says, we have church on Saturday. We worship the Lord on Saturday. Well, nothing wrong with that, but uh, you can and ought to worship Him at least in your heart every day. Well, let's just not be exaggerating. You know what? I don't just eat on Sunday. If you doubt that, just ask Marcia. She buys groceries for every day of the week. And I, she puts it on the plate and I do my best to clean that plate. I try to be a good husband that way. But we cannot limit our prayers to just one day. There are some people who say, oh, this is, you know, a few weeks ago we had what the world calls Easter Sunday. Like, this is Resurrection Sunday. Guess what? The Lord rose on, we call it the Lord's Day. Every Sunday is the weekly reminder that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Yes, He lived. And that's great. And yes, He died sacrificially. And that's great. But He rose from the dead. And He rose... A victor for all his foes, as the song says. And we designate the fourth Thursday in November as Thanksgiving. Is that the only day you give thanks? Shame on you. We ought to give thanks. Men are always to pray and not to faint. We'd rather faint sometimes than pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, Pray without ceasing. you pray one time about something, well, that's the first time. But it also tells us the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That means we're to keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. If you really want something, if you really need something, now there's a, Well, God knows we need those things... Yes, and the same God who knows what we need also says, ask. Jesus, ask your heavenly Father. Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. If you don't ask, how badly do you want it? Our prayer should be, Lord, give me what you would have me to have. I know I've told you this before, but we have some guests, so... That may be the first time I ever heard this. A certain person came to me and when they realized that I was a preacher. They said, pray that we'll get money. And I said, I'll pray for the Lord's will. They said, no, don't pray that. Pray that we'll get money. Because they made up their mind what they really wanted, what they really needed. I don't think they made it a priority to ask for the Lord's will. And no matter what you're doing, any day that ends in a while, Lord, may I think, may I go, may I be as you would have me to. You are to have the priority. You are to have the preeminence in my life. Continuing in prayer. That's what the Scriptures say. And not only when, but when. So when I go to church, I like to bow my head. That's good. You ever bow your head in the cab of your truck? Ever bow your head when you're in the shower? And I don't recommend if you're behind the wheel that you bow your head when you're going down the highway. But uh, you can pray with your eyes wide open. Men are always to pray, not to faint. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Not just in the pews. Not just on Sunday. Not just when you're in a tight. So proud of a dear lady who when her husband was by the doctors, they'd given up. They called the family in three times in five days to say, you better say goodbye to Papa because this is it. And then the doctors went to this dear lady and said, Ma'am, we're sorry to tell you this. We've done all we can do. He's in the Lord's hands now. And she didn't just go, well, okay. No, she said, Doc, i got to do this for you. He's always been in the Lord's hands. That's not just true for somebody on what the world would call their deathbed. Men are always to pray. Everywhere they ought to pray. We love to go to the Gospels because there we have those red letter words, the words that Jesus said during his earthly ministry, rendered in English for our benefit. I want you to see how the 18th chapter of Luke opens. Jesus would sometimes give parables, earthly stories with heavenly meaning. It says, He spake a parable unto them to this end. Of, this was his objective. You know, if you're a school teacher, you get to write objectives. What a, what a joy. What a blessing. And so the objective, why am I going to spend time and, and talk about this and inculcate this concept to these boys and girls? Why do it? That's your objective. Jesus gave this parable and here was his objective. It tells us what he was driving at. What lesson they're supposed to get out of it. That men ought to Always to pray and not to faint. You know what we do when we get bad news? We faint. Or we curse. Or we question. Or we complain. We ought to pray. It's never a wrong time to pray, it's never a wrong place to pray. If Jonah could pray from the belly of a whale, I think you can pray anywhere any time, any circumstance. And so when I hear people say, May Day, it's a great challenge to us to let us know about the distress. It's a great realization and reminder that we have a revolutionary message. And May Day, every day, a day to print. What do you think of you in Maybe. Well if we have some